Midwifery for the People is a podcast about reimagining the way we approach the entirety of the birthing year. Margot's goal is to combine her radical imagination with her knack for strategizing to bolster the birth revolution and a larger global revolution of feminine consciousness. Midwifery for the People is a production of the Indie Birth Association and IndieBirth.org. No material on this podcast should be considered medical advice. Birth is not a medical event. Now here's your host, Michael Blackstone. If you're recording, do you want to start with introductions or do you want to just dive straight into apprenticeship? I guess it depends on if you want to be anonymous or not. I'm happy to... uh... To not be anonymous, I might think back and go, I wish I hadn't said that, but that's okay. <laughs> that's the nature of recording podcasts. Uh, but yeah, sure. If you want to introduce yourself, that'd be awesome. So my name is Sofia Ortiz and I'm an independent midwife. I work in Corfu, Greece, but I trained and worked the first few years of my career in the UK. I want to say very different system, but actually everywhere you look is over-medicalized and over-interventionalist and all the rest of it. But the idea of home birthing and a midwife being your main carer is very foreign here in Greece and particularly on this island. But it's where my husband is from. It's where we want to bring up our family and our children. And even when we moved to England so that I could study, we always knew that we would be coming back here to bring another option, if you like um yeah and one of your students contacted me about doing an apprenticeship with me (laughs) which I was really excited about because it's always something that I've had on my mind like it would be great if we could have a place where people could come and birth and people could come and study and it could be a center of it's very similar to what I think you guys are thinking as well maybe on a bit of a smaller scale it's a smaller population (laughs) but yeah like i safe space for people to come and birth and learn and yeah really get into that but but it happened but an apprentice contacted me sooner than what I expected and so I was like oh shit okay I'm gonna have to step up yeah and so with your experience training in the UK I guess for my own curiosity and just so I understand your background what does that exactly look like in terms of apprenticeship and like gaining hands-on experience there. I know it's through university and then through the NHS. Yeah, so the, it's really different. I When I first started looking into being a midwife, I really, the idea of doing an apprenticeship, I was like, yeah, that's, I'd like to find someone who I really respect and like yeah. the way that they can and follow them. But it's just not possible in Europe to become qualified in that way. So I was like, okay, I know that I'm going into a university system that's gonna be really different from my approach and how I wanna do it, but I'm gonna take what I need and then use that as my base, as my clinical. And the university did give me other options and a lot of the tutors and the lecturers were really forward thinking and I'm really supportive of their students, but yeah, I learned in a very, clinical medicalized system but we did right from the beginning like after just four or six weeks in university we went straight out into working with midwives who were in in the NHS yeah like placements yeah placements so they were mentors we called them 
And there was quite a few, loads of different ones. You might not always, even though you were assigned one, you might not always be with that person, depending on work schedule and university schedule and the rest of it. So it could, it was a little bit fragmented, some of it. And there were obviously ones that you really got on with and other ones that you thought, oh my God, I never want to practice like you ever. And (laughs) sometimes you learn more from them than you learn from the ones you really like. When I listened to your podcast, actually, that was about apprenticeship, I was like, okay, I get the structure is actually quite similar. Like you start out really just with a back view, like you're just watching what goes on and encouraged to do that. And then slowly get more and more involved and active until you're in your third year and you're just overseen, basically. Yeah. Which, yeah, gave me a little bit more confidence and understanding. Yeah. Does that answer your question? (laughs) Yeah, it does. So that felt familiar to you in that it was similar, even though maybe the details were different and the continuity with one preceptor was not the same progression through the apprenticeship or learning hands-on learning whatever we want to call it was this for you yeah yeah the main difference being that you don't really choose which yeah okay so what parts are still feeling sticky or unfamiliar what questions do you have my main my, my main, I've got two main concerns, which are the questions that I wrote to you earlier. Yeah. One is that I still, I've got a very small practice, like literally in the two and a half years that I've been here, we have, I have, and I work with two doulas, supported seven births. So okay. that's not a lot in two and a half years. Eventually, I would love to have one or two births a month. That would be my goal. I don't want to be overwhelmed I still want to have a family life and all the rest of it but but so any student or apprentice that comes it's very much a like time sensitive there isn't any births for a few months and they might not see any birth we might do a few antenatals or postnatals depending on who I'm supporting at that time but it might not be much exposure and then also depending on whether the woman wants them there and how much does that impact someone's learning obviously you want to be exposed and you want hands-on experience but if it's not there it's not there yeah yeah I've got a few thoughts about that I guess the first of which is are you wanting to increase your birth load and if so do you have a plan for that not that that we need to necessarily get into a business coaching call right this second but yes I do but I'm six months pregnant at the moment (laughs) So like, <laughs> any plan six months ago that I had of really pushing and increasing and yeah. making, getting more exposure have gone on the back burner because I'm like, I know the yeah. next year and a half is going to be pretty low key and pretty intense. It's pretty intense family wise, pretty low key work wise. Yeah. Having said that, I've got two home births booked one month before I give birth and one month after. So I'm open to working while I have a young baby and to supporting births where they fit in. But yeah, it might not be the most productive year in that sense. Yeah, I'll sound like a broken record to anybody who listens to this, but are you also teaching classes? 
yeah birth preparation classes and parenting classes and stuff yeah we've got a we've got a really lovely team actually here called the pregnancy and birth network of Corfu and which is me two doulas and a hypnobirthing practitioner who's also a massage therapist and we've made a really lovely 10-week program that kind of follows through and prepares you for a physiological it goes through everything but mostly focusing on a physiological birth and physiological parenting what's Uh, the the population of the island a hundred and twelve thousand okay so it sounds quite a lot but i think they only have about a, a thousand births on the island per year that's also a lot though if you're only looking to do 12 to 24. It sounds a lot, but because just, I'm just so aware of the culture and the, so aware of how ingrained and I don't want to say brainwashed. Ideology. Like, yeah, the, it is very much like you give birth in the hospital or the clinic, you have your gynecologist, you have your obstetrician and you do what they say. How many people are coming to these 10 week classes? So the, it's just coming to an end, the third cycle that we've done. There was four, four couples coming through that cycle. There were four couples in the last cycle. And in the very first, there was, just, there was only one couple who were birthing with us as well. Yeah. But they're getting more and more popular as more and more people come. And more and more, it's very much a word of mouth culture. More and more people have contacted and asking questions. And My suggestion then, for you would be to offer one day workshops instead of 10 week or not instead of, but in addition to 10 week. Okay. We have a version that we teach. It's a three hour workshop and oh, yeah. it's all about the labor hormones. We show birth videos and we include that for both our doula and midwifery students as like a way to jumpstart their practice and to bring to their community this really awesome education. So I could send that to you. I think we don't have it in Greek, but we have it in some other languages. And if you have something that you're already using, maybe just paring it down into a two to three hour workshop. And the main thing is showing people birth videos because the information is in one year out the other, even in a 10 week class in my experience, like they're great for building community and building confidence, but it's not like people like walk out really remembering many of the details it's more about like the feeling and just like challenging again like you said the brainwashing that's happened and saying like maybe everything you thought you knew about birth isn't true and just really giving them that opportunity to question it and then that could lead into your 10 offering saying if you want to continue learning there's this if you want to really explore more what is possible like book an appointment with me do a prenatal and see how different it is so that's my biggest recommendation if you're wanting to pull in more clients is to offer way more low opportunity cost options. So like the one day workshop or there's a lot of ideas, but essentially something that's low commitment and low cost and also sounds really interesting. So whatever it is that might be really different in the place you are, but if you start hearing like a common thread among people who have found you already being like, oh, this is what drew me here. A lot of the times it's people asking, not so much anymore, but five years ago is like, 
oh, I was so interested in water birth and I typed in water birth and your website popped up. I'm like, really? That's the thing that got you interested? Okay. So just listen for what those breadcrumbs are that have led people to you and then capitalize on those. And maybe then you teach a water birth workshop all about water birth. And they're like, huh, water birth does sound cool. And they might come thinking that you're going to talk about hospital birth and how to have a water birth there. And then you can just do the switcheroo and be like, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about how all this other stuff and here's some really great water birth videos and let's talk about home birth or there's infinite ideas, but that's the idea is just where are people at? How do, how have they already come over to your neck of the woods and then how to help more of them do that? If you're wanting to build your load. No, especially water birth, because one of the doulas I work with is a perinatal therapist and she does therapy. She uses water as therapy. So that's definitely one of the workshop ideas and workshop plugs that we just. Yeah. And like in our doula academy, we also, I teach like how to run. I'm assuming people in Greece are also on Facebook. Yeah, more than anything else, more than Instagram or TikTok or all of the other stuff. It would be super easy for you to run an ad for any of those free workshops for $20 or $30. And commonly, when I do this where I live or when people have followed the method that I teach in the Doula Academy, like someone did a workshop here in my office. You can see the, my, it's messy right now, but, and she used the ad strategy that I talk about. And she had, I think, 28 people come. Yeah, no, we use those for the funny seminar or workshop or whatever we do, the paid ads on Facebook because yeah. it's most used social media in Greece, actually. Yeah, that's great. So that's what I would do is I would offer the, like just the one day workshops and run an ad and try to get 30 plus people. And it's pretty much inevitable that a few of them will want to explore the idea of home birth if you teach them the right material and challenge them in the right ways in my experience at least okay but that said seven births in two and a half years right that would be a slow apprenticeship but also if somebody knows that and they're coming anyways there's nothing wrong with that as long as it's just mutually understood but I think it's tricky like I took all of 2022 off and I've been talking with some people who are possible apprentices who even are considering similarly considering moving here to mm-hmm. apprentice me. And I'm like, right now I don't have any 2023 due dates because I haven't been teaching classes. My website had said that I wasn't available for so long. Yeah. Like it's just, I haven't been putting my energy there. And so I've been really honest about that and said like in the past, I've had one or two births a month. That's my intention to get back to, but I can't guarantee that. And so if you move here before, (laughs) before things are more established again, that's just a risk that you'll have to take. So, no, I've been pretty honest with this, with the that is (coughs) considering coming and yeah, she doesn't seem concerned about it. And she's, you know, very aware of, of the situation and very happy also to help out in the other workshops preparation programs whatever it is that we've got to offer which is really kind so yeah okay yeah and so that might bring some more energy and that's what I want out of an apprentice is I want somebody who's excited and willing to help with that kind of thing too because that's better for them in terms of getting more exposure and clients it's better for me 
And that's part of what they need to, I think that's what they should be doing once they're a midwife on their own too. So it's not like it's not relevant yeah. or important. Like they also need to know how to do all of that and education and marketing and all of it. So that's great. Cool. Okay. I'll stop fretting about it. There's nothing you can do about it. Right. And if she's comfortable with it, then just is what it is. And maybe one year in or two years in she's, Oh, like maybe now done with the midwifery school and has gotten to see the couple births or seven births or something and moves on to somewhere where she can get more exposure. That's not yeah, yeah. The world either. No, exactly. There are other places where more birds <laughs> have. Okay, cool. The other thing that I've got on my mind is that when as soon as you come out and you actually start practicing, you realize how much you don't know and how much you want to know. And which is great because you're like, there is still so much to learn and so much to improve on and so much where I want to improve and everything. And I'm very much in that road and in that on that path. And I know that the student who wants to come has already had a lot of exposure to birth. She's been a doula, she's been a body worker. She's got quite a lot of exposure. Yes, she's never been a midwife, but she's already had a lot of exposure. She's not starting from zero. So I'm like going through, particularly going through your your course, which gives you much more of a rounded perspective and much more of a holistic approach and actually contains a lot of the stuff that I now want to go and learn. <laughs> what happens when there comes a point when you're like oh I don't think I've got anything more to offer or teach you you've you've surpassed my knowledge and skills and okay you might not have as many births under your belt as a midwife but you've certainly got a lot of knowledge base and a lot of yeah skills at hand sure I guess I was curious what are some of the things in our course that you feel like you're wanting to go out and learn? And then I will answer your question. The main things are nutrition, herbalism, and bodywork. Like those are my three areas that I know that I'm really interested in and want to, and I'm making progress in, you know, my own personal learning, continuous practice development, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that there is not a problem. And that's just a natural part of any mentorship is it's not even that you run out of things to teach them because there's always more. And like you said, you're always learning. And I think it's not totally possible, but I do think there's a point at which like saturation has been reached. Okay. We've gone as far together as we're going to. So I think just not being afraid of that happening and just knowing that it will happen. And Mm -hmm. also that someone might not want everything you have to teach them. So my experience, I've had two apprentices and both of them have taken different things from me and run with them. They have not gotten the same experience, even though both of them have been working with me. And so I think it's a two-way street as well. And I think there's a lot of learning that can happen especially once they've got some more experience under their belt that you can learn from them as well. And I think that's okay to admit and just acknowledge. And she might be like, oh my gosh, I just learned this really cool thing in school. And that might totally benefit you and be a cool thing for you to talk about together. And 
I think it just goes back to what is the goal. If the goal is to, for me, when I'm working with an apprentice, my goal is to help them get the experience and then also glean whatever wisdom I can impart upon them so that they are the best midwife that they can be, which is going to be different than the midwife I am. Like it's just part, I think that's just part of my philosophy. And where was I going with that? Other than to say, yeah, they're not going to become like a mini you and you wouldn't want that. And you might learn some cool stuff from them. Or, and even if it's not, oh, teaching you an actual like piece of information, I think seeing how somebody else interacts in the birth space or the ideas that they have, even just like the energy they bring can be really cool and informative too. So I don't yeah. know that's your question though. What about that feels the most, I'm going to steal a line from my friend for Summerfelt, who's been on the podcast a couple of times and say, what are you hearing yourself say about that? I just have to tell you, I listened to the one of her, the podcast, one of them that you did with her. And like a lot of the times I listen to podcasts and it's, it's just revalidating things that I know which sure. is, and, and powerful. But I listened to her one recently about birth trauma and it just blew my mind. I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> OK, this yeah. is how we approach it. And this is how we approach healing and birth. Yeah, it blew my mind. Uh, uh, so what? what comes up for me when you talk about that like, it reminds me, yeah, yeah. Like when you, this oh the student has surpassed me and oh <clears throat> what are you hearing yourself say about that I can hear myself be insecure or doubting my, myself in it but I don't think that's the root cause of it I think it's just that I really want to create an environment where people can learn whether that's for students or whether that's for parents and you learn as facilitator for all of them you learn from the parents that you go and birth with you learn from the couples who are taking a class or whatever and yeah I suppose it what what I see in that relationship is being secure in what you do know and then being secure in not knowing as well and that's that's okay that's fine and also in the parents, sometimes in a client relationship, you have to go, oh, I don't know the answer to that question or why your hormone levels or your blood levels or whatever are high or low or what this pain might be or whatever. I'll go and look it up. Okay. So that it just feels a little bit more reciprocal, not like I have to su- support someone's entire journey to be <laughs> to become a midwife. Well, I think that's what the main point is of the Indie Birth Midwifery School and hopefully any program out there is this is the curriculum that we created was what we wanted our apprentices to learn outside of their apprenticeship with us mm-hmm. because as a preceptor it's too much to think that we can teach all of those lessons give all of that information all those details all the prompts like it is just absolutely that it doesn't work and even if you tried, there'd be stuff you'd miss and things that you don't teach as well. So like Marin and I don't teach every one of the courses. Like we brought in experts on different topics and friends of ours to teach so that our students are getting, like I said, I've worked with two apprentices 
and both of them have done our program and I can just trust that they're getting all of that. And then they bring to me some of the questions or things they're learning about, or they start applying that to the clients that we're working with. And then we talk about how does this work in real life? You're learning diagnostic testing. You are starting to understand the vocabulary and the reference ranges and what it might mean and what we can say in your class. But then now someone's sitting in front of you and we have to look at their CBC, like here's a real life chance to apply that information. And so I think if anything, I would just say, especially if you have someone who's in a great program, that's not your job. Your job is not to try to recreate that or give homework necessarily other than stuff that is actually applying to like your real life practice where, so Marin recently had her apprentices. I think I might get this wrong. Sorry, Marin, if you're listening, but I think she had them put together a several day diet journal for a twin mom about essentially it's because they were working with someone who was pregnant with twins. And so they each came up with, this is what I would give her as a sample. This is what you're aiming for to get everything in that you need to get it. So she added that on. So that's not something that's part of our program. Yeah. So little assignments here and there to help them stretch and learn and apply, but that's, yeah, I just would go back to saying that piece, which is you're really just providing the experience and then this feedback loop with them around how they're integrating that experience. So you don't need to feel like you're a professor. (laughs) I'm not a single person university. Single person university, exactly. Because that's too much pressure. That's a lot. When do you tend to judge that somebody's ready to take a next step or get more involved? I was thinking actually more particularly in like prenatals when it's the conversation flowing, the giving and sharing of information, that kind of stage. I feel actually when you're, if you're coming to midwifery, you're likely to be comfortable in a birth space or you think you're likely to be comfortable in a birth space, even if your stage is sitting right back, like at some point you will have imagined yourself in a birth space. Okay. That kind of is almost easier to see, even though it might be a more intense situation. but with things with pre and postnatals, they can, they're quite sensitive. There's quite a lot of information that needs to be given and taken and you don't want to underload or whatever. Yeah. So when you judge when someone's ready to start going there? Like leading a prenatal on their own? Getting more involved and then starting to lead one. Yeah, I feel like that's one of the later skills, honestly. I think that people need to watch a lot of them before they start trying to insert themselves because otherwise they don't take the time to observe all those complexities that you were just describing there. And I think that's a pretty common tendency of new midwifery students is they just get so excited and they're like, Oh, I know a remedy for that thing. Or I have a friend who that happened to, or that happened to me. And like, they want to jump in and help, but it actually ends up, I don't want to describe this. It's sort of like active listening, right? If you're thinking about what you're going to say, you're not really listening. <laughs> and so I try to encourage new apprentices to turn that part of their brain off and just be in the active listening mode and just give themselves the 
challenge of saying nothing for a while. So like in my practice, that would maybe be like six months. And if I'm seeing a couple people a week, I don't know, like at least 50 prenatals or something, 30, 50 before. And then at that point, I really want them to ask themselves, why am I talking? Like, why do I want to say this thing? Is this something that really is going to make or break this person's experience? Is it that important? Should I wait for the midwife to say this? Or should I maybe jot it down and mention it to the midwife after? Because I don't know how this looks for you, but it would be very easy for me to have a client leave and have my apprentice be like, oh, I really wanted to say this thing about like how to cure a UTI, but I didn't because I was trying to just listen. And have you ever recommended that? Or what do you think about that? And then we could have a conversation. And if I'm like, oh, that is a really great idea. I'll text them quick and mention it. Oh, hey, here's another idea that I'm so had that I want to pass on to you. It's not, you don't have to say it in the moment. (laughs) And especially if they haven't heard what your version is, it can be really uncomfortable if they're like, oh yeah, do this thing I read about on Facebook. And you're like, that doesn't work. Mm, (laughs) Don't listen. Then now there's this weird dynamic that's been created. So I think it's better to err on the side of listening for a while. Yeah. That would be my gut feeling as well. I think I'm going back a little bit to, okay, I don't have that much of a caseload. So there's going to be... 50 in a month or two no. but it can be yeah slow and that's okay yeah and there's other ways that I've been brainstorming to to get prenatal experience specifically for our clients we have a ton of people who reach out to us about virtual prenatal support many of which either don't have the money or whatever to book one with me or Marin. So there's other ways that they can get experience too, is what I'm saying. And yeah, I guess I would just say with the small caseload thing, just because it's small doesn't mean that you should rush it. Uh, But like you said, if someone's coming in and they already have experience, I still think it's really important to do like some vetting. Not like, oh, you're a good apprentice or you're not. That's not what I mean. I think it's good to get like an assessment by actually seeing how they interact at prenatals, at births, and what do the conversations look like? Because I think it's really easy for us. Like, how long have you been going to births at this point? I try, I started training in 2012, so 10 years. Yeah, so same. And so at this point, it's really easy to forget how much we know, to not realize how big the brain library is. <laughs> And so you might have the experience where after a birth, I often think of this one birth where afterwards there was a hemorrhage and my apprentice said afterwards, and we were debriefing, I think we even did a peer review. Wow. That was really helpful to have, to hear you do the peer review because I did not realize how serious that was, or I didn't realize in the moment that you needed X, Y, and Z from that, that would have been helpful. And in my mind, I'm like, it's just obvious. And I wasn't angry or upset or anything. It was just really interesting to hear, oh, that's why you didn't think to get me those materials. Like they literally don't know to do it. Or even if they do know to do it, they don't know at what point to trigger, you know what I mean? 
there's always a gap between okay yeah I know exactly what to do in a hemorrhage and then actually doing it well and I guess in this case she didn't realize that there was a hemorrhage happening okay (laughs) like she knew what to do if there was a hemorrhage but she didn't know that we were seeing one you know what I mean so it's like oh yeah like that's also a skill and I didn't say that word out loud because yeah who what mom wants to hear that oh by the way you're hemorrhaging I had said oh we need to make sure this blood loss is under control like that sort of thing but those clues did not compute yeah yeah Yeah. which is totally fine that's why she's not in charge of birth yet and my point I think was just that yeah that it's important to remember even if someone comes in with doula experience they don't have that experience of the decision-making piece yeah and all the counseling like you said and the how to not underload and navigate and then what's this client's personality like and it's a lot yeah it is and you're also protective of your clients and the relationship you have with them and that you've built with them and that you want to have with them and yeah you don't want that to be undermined in any way yeah. So yeah, definitely erring on the side of less and not just because of that, not just like for selfish, that those reasons, but because that is actually what's best for the apprentice too. Like it's better to really take that time and be intentional and listen and watch and observe. Like the observe phase is really important. And I think a lot of people want to skip it. Oh, I've, or I've been to birth or I've been a doula or like, I want to be in the assistant role, but I think that it's important to not skip over. You said something earlier too about like your clients wanting the apprentice there. Have you talked about that with any of the people you have? Are they open to that? One of the birth that is coming up while, my, while the apprentice is going to be here, I spoke to her about it and she was a little bit, con- not concerned at first, but she just wanted to really take her time to make sure that she would be comfortable with another person there and but actually since we had that conversation she's done more preparation with the water doula with the perinatal water therapist and she's actually I think she's much more coming around to the idea of a support team and how that can look like and how she can be comfortable in it and fit into it and uh, yeah enjoy it as well yeah I think that if training more apprentices is important to you then working that information into, if you have a website, into that, mm-hmm. or into any paperwork you have can be really helpful. And obviously this wasn't the case until now. So it makes sense that you haven't had that on there, but just going forward, whether it's this apprentice or any other, I frame it to people as midwifery is dying. Like we are going, especially authentic midwifery, like it's going extinct. There's, we actually did, we collected email addresses from every home birth midwife we could find in the U.S. And there were 1,500. That's nothing. There are, I was like, I'm one of a thousand. And then how many of those are like practicing not way overly medical regulated midwifery? Like it's mm. in the hundreds. It's wow. very sad in everywhere. And so for me, it's really important that I train as many midwives as I can in my lifetime. Like I would like to have a hundred apprentices. I want there to be more. And that's how I frame it with my clients is just, this is part of my mission. Yes. I like attending births, but for me, it's equally important that I train more people. Of course, if you don't like somebody that I'm working with, you need to just tell me hopefully as soon as possible, 
but I've never had anyone so far tell me they didn't want an apprentice at the birth. Is that true? Let me think. Yeah, I've never had any of them. And some of them have, I think, expressed that my apprentice wouldn't have been like their choice as a midwife, maybe, and like maybe not the best fit, but it wasn't a detriment to their birth process. And part of that, I think, is having the apprentice at every prenatal. Some midwives don't operate that way, and I don't see how that could possibly work. But yeah, so giving them as much time to to connect with them even if they're sitting there silently, <laughs> just seeing that they can be a calm presence and be what they're needing. And then they can, like you said, picture them at the birth more easily. So yeah, that's been my experience. And I think all of my, not all, but many of my clients have said that's really awesome and exciting. And that was, that's something they want to be a part of too. They want to help train more midwives as well. So yeah, no, I hadn't thought about it that way. That makes that makes it much more a community project. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes it's really fun for the moms to be like, oh, I can show you where my baby's heartbeat is with the fetoscope or something. Or I can, like, they sometimes get really excited to teach yeah. someone yeah. too. And like you said, there's if there's like 100,000 people on your island, there's a thousand births per year. Maybe it's different. I don't, I actually don't know the amount off the top of my head of births per year, but I live in a similar sized city and we have outlying areas too. We're not on an island. (laughs) So take it with a grain of salt, but we have at one point, I think we had six midwives who were all relatively busy. So I, there's no reason. Yeah. No population wise, I think it can work. There just needs to be an openness to the shift in how things work. And yeah. it's not going to happen overnight. Yeah. But I am, me and the team are here. We can provide option for whoever wants it. And I know there are lots of people who actually go off the island because it's so interventionalist. I think there's between a 70 and 80% cesarean section rate on the island. What? Oh my gosh. <laughs> depending on your private doctor, on blah, 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 depending on a lot of stuff. But a lot of people go off the island because they don't want to be part of that. I see. So that would be my, t- my target group. So they're like boating somewhere to birth their baby. Yeah, they go to Athens or Thessaloniki, or if there's quite a, a large foreign population, expat population from the Netherlands, from England, from Germany, and they go back there. To birth. Okay. Wow. Yeah, especially, right, the Netherlands have a much different culture around birth. Interesting. Okay, that's a lot. That's a high percentage. Yeah. All of the women that I've supported have been, yeah, foreign women. They've been expats? Yeah, a lot of them had Greek partners, but they're, but they're themselves, yeah. What else? What other questions come up? as you think about working with an apprentice? Those were my main, I think, and you've helped a lot to, I think I had an idea, but I never, I hadn't got into the nitty gritty of teaching, of mentoring before I left England. It would would have been the next stage in my career, let's say, as an NHS wife. But I never got into that. I'm like, and so I've ended up in a place where I really want to do it, but it appeared before yeah. I imagined it. 
which is great. Sometimes that just like forces you into doing it. Do you know what I mean? But it's nice to know that the what I can offer and the approach that I can offer is acceptable. Do you know what I mean? Like valuable for sure. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think you're right. Like a lot of the time you forget what you know. And then this is normal because it's your brain that you live with. <laughs> A lot of people know how to deal with a hemorrhage or sure or whatever. Why not? Well, how would you not know? <laughs> how would you not know? Yeah, no, I think it's so valuable. And I think that it does really enrich the experience of being a midwife. So I'm excited for you to, to experience that. And I think I mentioned this in the emails that we exchanged, but this is something that we really want to, we really want to be working with midwives, one on continuing education more. We don't have a super set program for that. All of our courses are available a la carte though. I will mention to you and anyone listening. And uh, we really do want to offer more mentoring the mentors or just like preceptor support. And so if you have stuff come up, just shoot me an email and until we have a more sort of solid system or course or group or something, we can just talk. And I think that would be helpful to us to hear what is coming up for different people who are precepting. So don't be a stranger. Definitely. Is there anything that you want me to send or fill in or whatever as a preceptor of a student from the school? At this point, no. We've really kept it pretty separate. There is definitely part of us. What am I trying to say? We've had the conversations about doing something like that and having some kind of communication with preceptors and then being able to add that on when people do complete the program, also noting or keeping a registry on our end or something around what somebody's completed. But at this point now, we just want to support our students in finding and thriving in apprenticeships and also support preceptors, but we're not like doing documentation or anything, but that said, totally happy. If you have questions or concerns, or if you're like, what is this student learning? Or she said this, is that what you teach? What happy to have those conversations. I think that will only make our program better. And yeah, we're happy to be a resource in those ways. Thank you. Thank you. That's good to know. Yeah. You're welcome. I am so appreciative that you reached out and that you're willing to work with one of our students. And oh, I was going to plug this before stopping the recording. If anyone out there is listening and is interested in precepting one of our IBMS students, we have a little form even that you could fill out so that we know who you are and who to point people towards if they are living near you or are willing to relocate. Or you can just shoot us an email as well. So Margo at IndieBirth.org is how you get me. And we would love to hear from more people all over the world and also here in the U.S. because that is one of the main questions that we get from aspiring midwives is how do I find an apprenticeship? What does that look like? Thank you. And yeah, let me know if you have other questions. Yeah, thank you very much. You're very welcome. I'm sure we will be in contact. Yes. If you enjoyed what you heard, please hit the subscribe button and give this podcast a five-star review. For more enriching content and conversation around the primal physiological process that is pregnancy, birth, and beyond, please head over to IndieBirth.org. And if you are in the Duluth area, 
seeking prenatal and midwifery support, you can find Margot at DuluthMidwife.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.